0: Welcome to Terranova Church this morning. My name's Pastor Ed. I I serve as lead pastor here. And I want to say especially to visitors, and we see a number every week, I know it might seem not traditional when you walk into the church lobby and there's a bar. Uh, First of all, it's not open during church hours, so I can reassure you that way. Secondly, that that idea of of tradition and meeting place, that's something that's a bit of a moving target for the church. It was homes, it was buildings, at, at times it's been anywhere the church could meet, even outdoors. Th- those things change for us, and, and yet when we gather, it's very traditional. But We gather on the Lord's Day. We're still the people who recognize and mark time as this new creation that started on the first day of the week when Jesus of Nazareth, crucified by Rome because of false testimony of the religious Pharisees, rose from the dead. And that's the most traditional piece that we can anchor back into. And we're in this series called Ancient Upgrade, where the church lives today and what it anchors into, because so much of what we would think is the the good traditional side of staying anchored to other people sounds absolutely crazy. But when you talk about a, a man who was fully God, who rose from the dead, some people are out of that conversation immediately. Or it just seems outdated, I can understand people used to believe in things like that, and yet we're called to represent to to everyone that truth that Jesus died for us, rose from the dead, and the rule of his kingdom was established. It's complex to represent a faith handed off thousands of years ago, and yet keep it anchored in those things that are ancient. If you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, simply put your hand up and someone will bring you a Bible and you'll be able to look at that first book of the Scriptures with us when we begin today. Last week in this series, which was the second in the series, we looked at who God is. We talked about the nature of God. We we looked at His attributes. We saw our relationship with Him and, and how we're to embrace what He reveals and reflect that outward. Today, we're going to turn to what God does. It seems to be the logical next piece. The Bible reveals the being of God, and we're called both to be like him. He'll say, be holy as I am holy, and yet to do like him as well. We're we're to be transformed and changed into his image. His nature, both being and doing, is meant to be your identity and my identity, our beingness in God, our doing this also informed by God. So here's the roadmap for today. After we read out of Genesis, uh, I'll talk to us about w- what it means that God created. W- what things do we pass by so easily but really need to understand and underscore if we're people who say God created us and the place we live and everyone and everything around us? We'll look at what He created. And how that informs us today. And then finally, what we do with this. How we take that ancient truth and faith and apply that out and live that today. Because if what God created tells us about his nature and our nature, we need him to inform us. And this is impossible without him. So I'll read and we'll pray and we'll head into the scriptures. Genesis 1, 1-5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day. The darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we who with faithful hearts confess we, you are our maker. We, we are your creatures. We ask that you would help usher us into your presence, that I close that gap by your spirit's presence, that you could tell us more of what that means. Lord, we who are your creation and in your creation who have lost awe, who are tired and don't see you. We only see the weariness of our lives and the groanings of this world. Please awaken us again. Awake our souls and show us you not just as maker, but sustainer and redeemer in this world. God, we need your spirit to do the things he does to see that happen convict us of our sin and unforgiveness, move that out of the way of our blindness and bring more of Jesus that we could be like him. Father, we pray that you would even awaken and enliven the most dead of us in this room today. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So we read what for many is the beginning of a very familiar passage. God creates the world, and and creation will go on in the narrative to present day by day what he creates, the the heavens and the water and the land and vegetation and the animals and celestial lights and ultimately man before he rests on that day. And if the scriptures inform us about God and they make that claim, that, that they're capable of displaying him and making us equipped for all godliness because we can see what we can see of God, If the scriptures proclaim that, there is a lot proclaimed even in that first verse in Genesis 1-1. I I want you to imagine something as we consider the God who creates. Imagine Genesis 1-1 was all you had. You you believed it was true. Just just walk with me through the hypothetical. You, You have this scrap of paper with this one line on it that you believe was revealed by God. But it's all you have. You're, it's the desert island scenario There's no other people to knock it around with You, you just have that And your mind's going to think about God as, as anyone who is engaged with What does their life mean Where did I come from Where will I go How will I be sure If my life is going in the right direction will wonder You begin to really analyze Genesis 1-1 A- And you ask yourself constantly What does it say What do I see about God Who is he represented in this passage. And he's represented as that eternal God. But Before we ever learn about the order of creation and how who we are and where we are came into being, God is presented in the beginning and God's already there. That's the first thing, I think, if we're really following through on this and trying to dig deeply into this passage and not just move by to something we know so well that we think that we can stop. This means first out of four things that I want to share about what this passage could mean if we really get into it. There's a distinction that exists between God and creation. This is a huge piece for understanding One, just for our own hearts and minds, so that we're living in the right direction, connecting to God in the right ways. But to so many people who aren't reading Genesis 1-1 to inform, where is God? Who am I? What is this place? How did I get here? Where will I go? Because so many people see it all as one. We're a post-enlightenment culture. And we came up with this notion that je pense donc je suis, I think, therefore I am. My senses are what tell me what things are. So if God is understandable, he has to be touchable, smellable, seeable. And so many people come to a conclusion from that Western thought and separately from Eastern thought to say, well, then it's all one. If I see everything, and that seems really big when I look at the ocean or I consider how many people there are, God must be in all of that. And they make the world a matter of one thing. God in all and everything, and me as part of that. It's pantheism. And yet, Genesis 1.1 presents something sharply distinct right from the beginning. There, there is no oneness. There's a twoness. There's creation. And before that creation, in the beginning, God. And before any of it existed, God was beyond it. This is why the psalmist will call out in Psalm 121, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He comes to realize all the things around me, whatever I'm listing my problems as, my problems with these people, my problems with money, my problems with marriage, my problems with my house. My help comes from the Lord who made all of this. If you understand that the God who loves you and made you pre-exists creation and isn't just one with it, but is two, you have a place to go. When when God sends Moses on his journey back to Egypt to pull his people out of this place of bondage they are not meant to live in, and he tells Moses to say, who sent him, he says, I am. Existence sent you, the one who is. Not, not, Not the God over parts of creation, not a part of creation. When Jesus so offends the Pharisees on one or more occasions that they want to kill him, he'll say in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. Separate from creation, but engaged. It means for us, nothing in creation will match God. Anything in creation, the most important pieces to you, the pieces sometimes that really direct your life, you can't get rid of them though you wish you could. You find yourself wanting them more than you ever consider how much you want God. That's when the creation has become more important than creator, it's called idolatry. We've taken something from this level of stuff he made and we face our hearts and minds and strength to it so much that what was meant to be his not belongs to that. It might belong to our career identity. It might belong to our physical appearance. It might belong to to our intellectual abilities. It might belong to how much money we have, how popular we are, how much power we have. And we're no longer worshiping like we're meant to, to be looking at God. We're now enslaved, because we can't stop that thing. For some of you, it's even darker stuff. It's affairs, it's it's hatred and rage, it's uh, an addiction to substances. And you find yourself constantly turning to this thing, And there's an enslavement that happens. You don't find joy in worship. There's enslavement and fear because you've gotten out of order. Genesis 1 1. God is separate from creation, will always be more valuable than any piece of creation that you would set your heart on, even yourself. Secondly, as author, God has authority. He's the one who made it. He's the one who can choose if if he edits it and how. He's the one who considered what is the purpose of creation. He thought through the details of what is beautiful in creation. When you're out in nature and you see things that are just breathtakingly gorgeous drive-in today. I'm doing the usual drive-in. I'm just reciting scripture and praying. Now, I'm, I'm bemoaning that I'm up early on a Sunday, and I'm seeing no one else on my street up, and I'm thinking, man, those pagans all sleep in. And then, and then I, I, I turn the corner, and there's just this beautiful sky. And I think, praise God, creation is so amazing. He, he authored all the things that we say are beautiful. Everything our artists imitate Pick your favorite artist. I don't care if they're impressionistic or or if they're realistic. They saw something and tried to represent that. God's the artist before there was any other. It's beautiful. And the same God who's author also authored the sense of it, that that we expect things to happen a certain way, that science can begin to prove that these patterns we suspected are actually true. He's the engineer of it. The brilliance of God was not just about beauty, and it was not just about structure. It was artist and engineer perfectly moved together. He's the author of that and he has authority over that. Psalm 24. You can flip there if you want. It's right in the middle of your Bible. King David is writing this psalm, and David's a guy who is enamored with God and just constantly enamored with God's creation because he's enamored with God. What God has done has amazed him. Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's his. No one else's. All the beauty of it, or the structure of it, or the purpose of it, the, it's his. He's not creation, but creation is his. So so what does that mean on a daily basis to me? I can say it's his, it feels like mine, I have to pay taxes, he's not, but how how do do I actually apply some of that? Turn to Acts chapter 4. This is where believers begin to apply things like the earth belongs to God, he's the author of it, he's the owner of all the things, including the difficult things. All things work together for good, not always good things, but they'll work together for good. And here the early church has been commissioned by the risen Jesus. If there's ever a time we are faithfully sure of the power of the church, it has to be then. And the church is suffering, like it does in every season sometimes. And they gather together to pray. And I think this is such a powerful beginning to a prayer. Acts 4.23 when they were released, because their suffering meant prison and beating and those kinds of things, and eventually martyrdom, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Remember, those are the same guys who had just killed Jesus. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? What are the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They begin their prayers. They're passionately crying out. Their leaders are being imprisoned. Their lives are being threatened. Jesus has already been killed by these people, and their prayer is, Oh God, who made everything. You made the heaven. You made the earth. You made these Pharisees. You made the high priest. You made me the God who made everything. They start their prayer with theology, not a to-do list. That's what people who passionately love who God is and what He does do when they pray. If we started with a to-do list, we would become very disappointed because God likely doesn't have a to-do list that matches ours. God, I need money, I need it by Friday, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, prayer doesn't work. I prayed, I got nothing for it. But when we start praying, God, you made heaven and earth. You are in control of all the pieces that... I start to think those people are in control over. Those things... This is your place. I'm not going to be the one who, like the heathen, imagines, well, here's what could happen if you're not in charge. I'm going to begin my prayers not with, thanks for this food, amen. I'm going to begin my prayers with, God, this is who you are and what you do. You're the sovereign who made these things. Now I think I can actually talk to you and trust you and not tell you what has to be done for my nerves to be okay. The information about God, theology, isn't just for books. It's not just to consider and recite It informs the way we speak to God and even our faith. See, that's the key difference here. You can believe the theology is true and not have faith that it matters in your world. You can believe things about God but not have faith that they really exist in your life. This is a great prayer because they know the stuff, they've been informed, they believe it, and then they act in faith. God as creator also means goodness in creation. And I know things look bad some days, but if God is the creator, it's all his, and he pronounced it was good. He, he put himself in it. We, we know something of God. We know that he pronounced these things good, and if it's his work, it tends to have his mark. It's like looking at or listening to any artist that you know. You can hear a song sometimes, and before there's even a word said, you can say, that sounds just like such and such, because you get to know that that style really represents them. God has a distinct quality about him. The Bible says, I am holy, so you be holy. The great American theologian and pastor Jonathan Edwards said, holiness is not an attribute of God, it's the attribute of God. Anything else you say about him, he's holy. He's a maker, yes, but he's a holy maker. He's a redeemer, yes, he's a holy redeemer. He's a lawgiver, yes, he's a holy lawgiver. And this becomes all-encompassing. And his goodness is placed into creation. It's such a distinct quality that Paul will spend three chapters of Romans trying to show how different we are from God. For three chapters, if you remember just last year we were in that, it was the most cheery sermon weeks that we had, just telling us again and again, by the way, you guys are sinners, by the way, you don't act like God, yeah, you wrong each other, yep, you worship yourselves, there's none righteous, no, not one, it's amazing Offering stayed up, but I appreciated your guys' faithfulness in that, but, but the creation is the thing that has gone off when we disobeyed God. The goodness of God who is present in his creation is still there. You're going to hear a lie now and again in your own heart and head. Maybe it comes from yourself, just something that you've concluded. Maybe it comes from the enemy who's trying to discourage you. Maybe it just comes from looking at the world around you. The lie will say something like this, God isn't really good or this stuff wouldn't exist right now. The the sickness in this person, the wars that are going on, the economic strife that I see, God isn't really good. Don't believe that lie. The core distinct quality of God is that he is good. And that he is a part of this world still, even when there looks like a lot of darkness from our side, because we've added that. God as creator means a fourth thing. It means that we have an image to be in. Uh, Men's ministry at Terra is called uh, Imago. I think we're two slides behind at this point. There we go. And the women's ministry is called Poema. Just because one's a masculine and a term and feminine and a term, though in the Bible they apply both to men and women. One means that we were designed in the image of God. That's what Imago means, that that we were crafted based on something. We're a model of something that already existed. You are best informed about yourself, not by your own history, but by who God is. You will understand more of who your being is and what you're meant to do as you understand your God. That's what being Imago is. Poema means masterpiece. Masterpiece. And it means that all the pieces before an artwork is done mattered for that artwork. So artists in their heyday would be making a sculpture, and they would draw out every piece of it. They'd be drawing knuckles on hands. This is before like mass art and pop art. And it would be years to make the masterpiece. And the masterpiece would involve some failures. We'd see little models of what was meant to be that didn't work out of some famous sculptures, and they'd change things on them. Your life is called poema. Same use of that term. There, there are all the pieces of your family history. There are all the injuries that other people have inflicted on you, and you in their sin. There are all the injuries you've inflicted on others and yourself because of your sin. And God says, before the foundation of the world, I've designed good works for you. You're my masterpiece. I'm going to redeem all these people. I'm going to redeem all the things in your life. God as creator means we have someone who we're modeled after who has also said... I will redeem that. I'll take the pieces that you didn't mean for right, and I'll build them into a masterpiece. It's not just information again, though. There there has to be a faith that goes with it. So if we're just getting this from Genesis 1.1, imagine we're going to get to when we see what God actually creates. So so here's where we are with that, the things God creates. We saw that there's a whole list of the days and all the pieces that go in. We saw that God pre-exists this. He's separate from it. But then he creates things that, for him, will lead people to himself. They'll bring glory to himself. They represent in ways who he is. The, the first thing that he gives is life. Life. He, he begins it all. There's something in his nature that preexists all the stuff we know, all the stuff we call time and space, all the stuff we see, all the stuff we are. There was something in him that was given to make that happen. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you get now what he was saying to Moses when he said, tell him existence sent you, tell him I am sent you. Everything came from me. The stuff that you guys have that you feel so alive over, that's a piece of my life force, God says. He he does what only he can do. Out of nothing, out of a void, out of formlessness, he brings something. We're at a time where people are constantly asking in the sciences and philosophy, how do we figure out where we came from? Most people end up realizing there, there's something, there had to be some cause. We call it a Big Bang, call it unknown, but something. Theists would call it God, the God who created. I recently had a friend who knew what I was preaching on send me a blog from um, NPR, and and it was all about this idea of, what does it mean that we're trying to understand this multiverse that's out there, and and do we understand how to extrapolate these theories of creation? And here's what the writer says, after a long, long blog, an obvious answer is, why bother? We are here, our universe obviously exists, and that's it. It's hard to accept this kind of answer, We're, we're culturally programmed to find final explanations, to craft narratives with beginning, middle, and end, it's very difficult for us to accept that something may not have had a beginning. Even harder is to imagine that something could pop into existence without a cause, the famous creatio ex nihilo from theology. That is this theology. He's nailed it down. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. We, We don't wonder We're not given the exact mechanisms, but there was a God who out of nothing formed something. This is so big in understanding your faith and living it out. It's not just theology. I believe God created from nothing. I can argue that to make sure that that I'm orthodox. What it's saying is we have a God who makes things from nothing, so when Abraham was, was called and was told to, to wait for the child and that he would have a, a, a progeny, the number more numerous than the stars in the heavens, it, it said he trusted and his faith didn't fail because he believed in a God who gives life to the dead and brings into existence things that are not. That's ex nihilo faith. So all the things God has commanded for you, promised to you, even if they don't look full right now, have the faith of your theology. This is a God who can create out of nothing. If you can clear the hurdle of God's power in creation, the rest of the stuff is just moving about created things, which is harder. If you have the faith of a God who makes ex nihilo, and you're wondering, God, it says in your word, I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living, but right now things are bad, turn to your faith and say, it will be. This is a God who gives life to the dead and brings into existence things. That That takes faith. If you don't want that, you're just a Christian empiricist who's saying, I don't see evidence of God doing everything he should. I only see evidence. Abraham understood and lived out this faith. Your problems, your family, yourself, your possessions, everything. God can make something from nothing out of that, no matter how bad it is right now. No matter how much, and I know some of you in this church are being beaten on, it seems, You have to stick with the faith that there is no more impossibility with God once we understand ex nihilo creation. He's the one who brings that distinction of light and holiness when he brings his life. He's the one who imparts that to us with his breath. We just read how he made this this day and night and separated them. Later he'll add the celestial heavens and say, sun and moon are meant to mark seasons for you. Uh, I, I like the way the stars mark seasons. Um, early on at Terra, I remember sending out an invitation. People had just gotten to know us. We were just getting ready to launch, weren't even launched. And I sent some friends an invitation to a winter solstice party. And I wasn't hearing responses at first. And one friend said, well, that's a joke, right? I said, no, 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 God created these things to mark seasons. This is the season where stuff that was really dark turns to light. This is, this is a great season to celebrate. And they're like, oh, so nothing weird? Like, no, 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 just we're going to have some food. We'll kill the goat, and then everything will be fine. <laughs> and we just got together, prayed, talked, read scripture. It was all good. But yesterday was one of those markers, autumnal equinox, the day when everything is equal, light and dark, same distance. Bad news of that message is it's going to get darker and darker and darker, and we're heading into winter. The, the, the good piece of that message is God has built in to even this creation of light statements. And he tells us, keep keep moving towards the light. First first winter for mankind must have been brutal. As it got darker and darker, I'd be wondering, is this how it's going to be? Is this the new normal? Until they see it repeat once. Okay, we got a break. And then twice and three times. And they realize the pattern. Yeah, there are moments that seem about equal, moments that seem really dark, but then it gets light again. To have that faith with the one who gave us light. There will be terrible seasons in your life. There will be seasons where things just seem balanced and neutral, and there will be seasons of unbelievable blessing for you. Your God is involved in each of those. Stay and worship him during them. The one who turned that formless void into this world, who who took a wasteland and turned it into a desert, took a cross and turned it into life, will work in your life. He he gave us place. the Bible, it says he carved out a garden where Adam and Eve belonged. All of us have probably had this feeling at some point. Do I belong here? Do I belong at this school? Do I belong dating this person? Do I belong chasing this dream? Do I belong in this state? We we just wonder, where, where am I meant to be? The beauty of the original love, design, and artistry of creation is Adam even knew exactly where they're meant to be. They had a place where they belong. They knew perfectly better than anyone else who would ever live where they were meant to be. And they weren't just meant to be there alone. They were meant to be there in community. They were meant to belong together, essentially home. And the relationship was was strong and good and loving. Adam wrote Eve poetry. Even Adam just Look, I mean, they hung out naked together, charged to repopulate the whole planet. Life couldn't have been so bad for Adam and Eve at this point in life. But this is, this is what they had. And God had said to them, you belong here. So many of us now live on the other side of that because of the sinful world we're in. We don't feel like we belong anywhere. And our relationships often seem more painful than fulfilling. The God who created life wants us to have life in him. The God who created place wants us to have place in him. The place that he really restored out of this building and loss of this place is the church. It's called the ecclesia. It's where we get our word eclectic. It's a lot of different pieces that end up put together and belonging together. It's like any plot of any Wes Anderson movie you've ever seen, all these crazy pieces that ultimately belong together. Some of us would never connect if it wasn't for Jesus. Some of us still be wandering around. Some of us would not like each other. if not, Some of us still don't like each other, but we're still part of Jesus and together. But, but we're, we're pilgrims now. We have a fixed point that everyone in this room, if they're following after Jesus, is moving towards the same objective point. We once weren't, so we came from different places. And that's the huge distinction between a hermit who says, I'll just do it by myself, whether trying to find their own way themselves or I'm following Jesus just by myself, and the church, a group of people called to be pilgrims together in community. And he gives meaning. Men didn't wonder, what am I supposed to do? The, Eve wasn't sitting at home working the garden and think, am I as valuable as the women who were in the office building? Maybe I should be doing that. They knew what their meaning was. God had not just given them life. He'd he given them purpose. He created. They would procreate. He worked six days and rested. They would work and rest. He would give direction. You'd live here and do this. And give prohibition, don't eat this. And they were to follow it. It was direct communication. The, the bottom line meaning was, imitate God. Just like he created, you procreate. Just like in the New Testament, say, be holy because he is holy. But the goal of people is to imitate God. I, I don't care what form or what place that takes for you. The confusing comes when we, we start to wonder what our meaning is based on the lateral. What looks good? Why should I do this? What's that guy doing? What's that woman doing? How should I dress because that person's wearing this? Versus the imitation of Christ. How does that work? How, how do I end up looking like Jesus? What, what, what does that mean? What, well, I have to look and see, what's Jesus like? Jesus is just like what we talked about God being at the beginning over creation. Because Jesus is the God who created in John chapter one we it'll say he's the one who made everything. He was with God, and by him all things were made. He's like God in that he's both far and near. We talk about Jesus, God being distinct from creation, but also interacting with Adam and Eve. It's the same with Jesus. With eternally the Father and the Spirit, and leaves to stand with us, dwells in the hearts of believer, but is seated at the throne. Embrace both of those about Jesus. There is a transcendent otherness to your Jesus. Do not pretend to understand everything about him or command him in your prayers. But there is a nearness to Jesus. Don't be so afraid and distant from his authority and holiness that you won't go to him because he says constantly, come, come to me. He's both near and far. He's author and authority. He's called the author and finisher of our faith as well as creation. He is our model. He is the ruler. He's seated at the right hand. He's God, the creator, and it means his goodness, his holiness is still part of our world. The lies that we are told that Jesus doesn't care about us, he only cares about the other people in the church, that he's not being good to us or he doesn't hear us. That's probably a satanic lie that you need to just put aside in faith because God has said otherwise. He has said that there is goodness because of what Jesus has done. He has blessed you. He has seated you in the heavenlies in that place of authority with Jesus. Understand, God as creator means Jesus as creator. His goodness means his goodness with you today. And God as creator means we're Imago and Poema. We're, we're, we're the image and we're the masterpiece. And Jesus stood in that image. He, he took form. He faced the disorder like God did in creation. Remember it said the world was void and formless? It doesn't have to mean void like we would think mathematics with nothing. The Hebrew word probably means more void like a wasteland or a desert. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus finds himself in the desert. He's taken that creation that we've ruined and he's redeeming it. Who ruined it back in the garden? Well, Satan should be there. Who shows up in Matthew 4 to tempt Jesus? Satan. And he brings to Jesus temptations that feel like the ones that Adam and Eve fell on. Feed yourself. Make yourself look more important. Just follow after my way without following God. And Adam and Eve said yes to those things. And we have said yes to those things. It can't just be fingers at Adam and Eve. We follow the same temptations. Make it about satisfying yourself, not serving someone else. Yep, I've done that one. Make it about how impressive you are to other people. Yep, I've tried that sin before, certainly. Make it about not serving God, but anything else. Yeah, I've done that one. Jesus fell to none of those as the imago. And creation so turned on him, they destroyed him because of our own sins. But he would rise to say, the ones who have the faith to believe what I say, that I died for sin and rise to rule over and create a new way, you will be the poem. As You will be the masterpiece. You, you'll still be tempted by sin, society, and Satan. The three S's that the guys who first discipled me, taught me, are, are still out there. But, but we can find that place, that home, and we can live that meaning to, to walk with him and grow with him. He's the one who represents God. John 1, 1, 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And that great piece we talked about last week, I want to put up again as we close. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. You, and it's a plural to everyone who has that faith, who understands what God has said about himself and about Jesus and believes it. You, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy like God is and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, because that's all God's place, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So here's the final question, then, that I think I would have listening to this, and you might have now. How do I do that? I can't be the one who answers the particulars. I can't do the phone tree. If you are a single mom, press 1, and I'll give you an application. If you're a student, press 2. If you're, if you're here and wanting to get married, press 3. If you're here and being stalked, press 4. I can't give you all the answers to these things. Jesus did it as a carpenter, so I think you can do it in pretty much any job. Jesus did it as a single guy, so I think you can do this thing single or married, because Peter seemed to follow after and married pretty well. He did it with his family. There are times he actually confronted and had difficult conversations with his mother and his brothers. There are times when he was able to help guide them so they could serve. The how is this. See Jesus. Work the plan of the Father. Live well with the body. Live well with the church. Make this a very vital part of your life if you're going to be really following after Jesus. And let the Spirit do his work in word, in purity, he's the Holy Spirit. And in power, he's the one who's poured out in the church to allow us to accomplish these things. The band's going to come up, and we're going to celebrate communion, the thing that made that Lord's Day, that new creation, where we recognize we've turned from darkness to light possible, the death and resurrection of our Lord. People will be holding a tray of broken matzah, representing the body of Christ broken. As you take that, you can dip it in the grape juice or the wine, representing his blood poured out. I want to particularly call out to anyone who who has heard these things and believed them for the first time. This is the first chance you have to follow through in faith. If you've heard this and you believe, God has provided something for me, life in Christ to restore all the goodness he meant in creation, come forward and receive that today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, our maker, we're so grateful. Jesus, our redeemer, savior, and Lord, We are so thankful for the direction you have for us. Spirit of God, who makes us pure and changes us within and empowers us to do your work without, please increase your glory through us and make us more holy, God, that our sinfulness wouldn't cover the beautiful aroma of Jesus and allow it to be seen by others in your creation who you desire to come to salvation and not perish. In Jesus' name, amen.